You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. All right, good morning. It is day 19 and 20 of your read through the Bible in a year plan. Oh, man. And we'll be considering uh, in our Old Testament reading Genesis 38 through uh, chapter 40. One. Is that right? No. No. Oh, through 41, verse 40. My bad. Yes. Okay. So let's get into it, man. The most sordid chapter in the Bible, <laughs> chapter 38. If you have been following along, you've already read it. If you haven't, um, it's a shocker. But you have the fourth child of born of Leah, yeah. the fourth son Judah. of Jacob. His name is Judah. And it actually mm-hmm. is the tribe, we know, because the tribe of Judah, this is actually where we get the term Jews. Mm-hmm. The tribe of Judah survives and and carries so much importance yeah. throughout the scriptures, but this is where it starts. Uh, we really see Judah become a player in the story, and it is not favorable. No. Which, the previous chapter, we already see he was the one who had the idea to sell his brother Joseph into slavery. It was his bright idea. So now we see the continuation of Judah's story. And what does he do, Matt? Uh, well, he seems, I'll let you tell it. he seems to fall in, in like, he becomes a, a friend with an Adulamite, a local Canaanite man named Hira, and they, he kind of takes him away from his brothers, and he ends up marrying a Canaanite woman, which is never great. Right. <laughs> and he ends up having three sons with her. With Shua. With Shua. Named On- Onan, or first it's Ur, Onan, er. and Shelah. And just a side note. No one's ever found this or taught this, but your friends matter from this passage. Yeah. But, I mean, we've never noticed. The thing is that uh, Judah is getting very comfortable in the land of Canaan mm-hmm. and with their customs and makes friends and wanders off as if his family has no cosmic importance. Right. Which is kind of a classic stumbling area for all of us. But anyway, he goes off. He uh, has three kids with, this, with Shua. And uh, then the story goes... Apparently he's with them long enough to, like, the oldest ends up becoming old enough to get married. Right. Years go by. Like, this is a big chunk of Judah's life. Um, And that's the other thing to remember while we're reading, is this, all these things take place over years. Yeah. You know, again, my mind is always like, oh, and then this happened, and then this happened. It's like yada, yada, yada. Well, the yada, yada, yada happens to be a decade yeah, or 20, 20 years. years. It's and, crazy. Um, which is helpful for me because even like I just I'm always wanting things to happen within days mm-hmm. or weeks. And the Lord is not in that big of a rush. You know, comparatively, literally, our lives are like a breath to him. But I digress. Let's so, keep going. So Ur is, gets married to Tamar and... The little tagline of Ur's life is he was wicked in the sight of the Lord right. and the Lord killed him. His name is Ur, which is like basically the Hebrew word for evil. Well, yeah, back so it's like a pun when it says uh, Ur was Ur aired, which is like the idea. Yeah. And so it's a pun where it's Ur spelled backwards is evil. There you go. Having fun with language, uh, and you'll see that throughout the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. The the names all represent things. There's kind of comedic, almost comedic ideas to it. But there's Ur, he dies, and then as part of the um, 
the way things are done mm-hmm. at this so, time. Tamar did not have any kids through Ur. And so usually what it is is the the next brother in line is mm-hmm. to have a kid with the widow. And the child, the firstborn child born there is then considered as the older brother's child, the dead brother's child. And he gets the inheritance that the older brother would have gotten. So infamous Onan, all he's supposed to do is provide his brother's wife Mm -hmm. with an heir. So his brother had all this stuff. Now it's his job to impregnate his Mm sister-in-law so that she has a son. But Onan, the Bible says, would waste, would spill his seed. Which means he uh, would would take full advantage of the right to have uh, intimate relationships with his sister in law, but would not get her pregnant. Would totally deny even the opportunity for pregnancy, mm-hmm. which is completely evil. Because mm-hmm. what you're doing is you're stealing. Because he didn't want uh, the stuff of his brother to go to anyone but him. Mm-hmm. And so this is seen as not just a despicable act, mm-hmm. but it's uh, criminal. Right. It's more criminal because uh, you're stealing the inheritance. So that's the, the story of Onan. And then because of that, God kills Onan now. Yeah, Onan's dead. So now Judah is down two boys. Yeah. And both of them were, were with uh, Tamar. And so now Judah's starting to think, ooh, maybe Tamar's the one that Yeah, maybe is that's what happens bad. when you're stuck in sin. You start looking around at everybody else. Maybe right. my life's going bad because of uh, that person. So... He's, he sends Tamar back to her father's house and says, wait there until my youngest boy is old enough to marry and I'll give you to him. But Shelah is a young boy at this time and she's like, what? And so she waits patiently, mm-hmm. sees Shelah grow up and get married and no one seems to care. So Tamar's like, this is not right. Mm-hmm. You owe me. You forgot about me. So she does what she can do and what she figures out is she dresses up like a prostitute, uh, and goes to where uh, Judah is, kind of knowing Judah. She's yeah. just a prostitute. She does the deed with Judah. Judah. She then says, how are you going to pay me? Judah's like, oh, I'll send you a goat later. She goes, well, how will you know it's me? Give me your signet ring. Give me your cord. Like your, um, it's obvious, like your ID almost, yeah. you know, like, and, and your staff, yeah. so that when you send this goat to me, I'll be able to give it back to you. Well, Judah then finds out, it goes home, he finds out there is no such cult prostitute. Mm -hmm. So you can see Judah is like, not at all like how we think of a believer. He's still visiting like prostitute, um, cultic ritual stuff. I mean, and his wife had just died. And so he is kind of like doing the classic rebound. Right. He's, he's (laughs) worldly rebound. He's struggling. Well, then he, um, goes to give this, uh, get his stuff back. And pay the prostitute, and then she has... um, Disappeared. She's disappeared. Then someone says, oh, your daughter-in-law, all of a sudden he remembers Tamar. So so then it's like three months later it goes by. He's like, let's just forget about it. I'm not going to try to track that person down. cool. Whatever, I lost my license. Oh, well. Yeah, I'll get a new one. Yeah, and so then three months later finds out, oh... Hey, your he, daughter-in-law is pregnant. He's actually told yeah. your daughter-in-law is pregnant. And he's like indignant and mad about it. Like, this is not right. Mm-hmm. He calls her to the gates of the city, the Canaanite city, yeah. to be burned. Right. But which is funny because, and don't get confused. That's not like a law of God at this point. That no. is purely a Canaanite. That's how Canaanites deal with unwed uh, pregnancies. Yeah. 
And that's when Tamar shows up and says, like, thou art the man, Judah. Here's your stuff. And literally, uh, I got to stop saying literally, but it is, it's a literary genre. Um, in the Bible, Judah straight up just says, oh, wow, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Shayla. He remembers everything. It's mm-hmm. not like, he, it all becomes crystal clear to him years and years later. He didn't keep his word. His boys were evil. He's done bad. You're more righteous than I. And then, um, and then, sh- so she, she ends birth. up having twins, right? And we have a almost similar thing with Esau mm-hmm. and Jacob, where one is about to come out, and the that's right uh, nursemaid or the midwife ties a scarlet cord around this one's wrist, and then he. Then he goes back into the womb, and the the other brother comes out first. So she gives birth. Tamar gives birth to twins, Perez and, and Zara. Zara. But Perez is the second born. Mm-hmm. He's called Breach. His name means Breach because he was the one that was supposed to be second, yeah. but then pushed his way, way out, out first. first. And yeah. Zara was the one who had the scarlet thread on his little uh, was it his wrist? wrist. Yep. Yeah. And so these two boys, you look it up, and and this is what you'll see. We keep seeing familiar themes, mm-hmm. right? So this is kind of like Esau, Jacob. It's similar to that. The second born is kind of is going to receive the inheritance. But I looked it up in Matthew's genealogy of Christ. And, you know, you have Judah listed in there. You have Tamar and you have Perez. and No, just Perez. You don't have his brother? No, because it can only come through Perez. That's true, but I thought they were both listed no, in there. No, they're not. Oh, just no. Perez. Our first argument. Okay, let me look. I trust you, but... Um, no, I just it's Perez. Unless Perez names his son Zara, it's Perez. All right, Matthew chapter 1. Boom, here we go. Matt is correct. And Judah, the father of Perez. Oh, wait, and Zara by Tamar. Matthew's not correct. But Perez, the father of Hezron. And then it goes on to give the lineage of Perez. Perez. But Zara is listed there. He's list- Yeah, but We're he's not. Right. Okay. We're both right. We're both right. It's the Bible. Let's okay. agree. Sure. Let's agree that we're both right. I'm just a little more right, technically. No, I'm you, technically right. And you're actually correct, um, literally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Literarily. So we've taken a long time for this story, but Judah and Tamar, it just shows the moral failings of Judah. He is struggling. He's realizing he's mm-hmm. not righteous. But as the story plays out, we'll, we'll see this might be a turning point for Judah in his right. life. So meanwhile, in Egypt. Meanwhile, in Egypt, God loves the promise. Like Judah's little escapades and adventure time with his unsaved friend can't ruin what God has uh, already put in motion with Adam and Eve. He can't ruin the promise. Right. And that's what's so beautiful. So the very next chapter is like the opposite of Judah. Mm -hmm. It's Joseph standing up and being this righteous young man. Right. And resisting sexual temptation. Many are familiar with the story, so we can kind of... Yeah, so Joseph is sold into slavery. He ends up at the captain of the guard's house, Potiphar. Mm -hmm. And he ends up working his way to being the head of Potiphar's household. Like, God just blesses everything he does. And he makes Potiphar's house really successful. And then, while he's doing this, he, he starts off at 17, so he's young, but... Potiphar's wife starts making googly eyes at him. Before the googly eyes, there's this verse, I know. It says, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Jacob's sake. And it's just that idea. It's verse 5, 39 verse 5. It's a great line 
Um, because yeah, you'll, start, you'll start seeing that over and over again for the sake of Noah, for the mm-hmm. sake of Abraham, for the sake of, and it's really cool, you'll see, for yeah. the sake of David. And then we have, even in our liturgy now, for the sake of Jesus, mm-hmm. you are forgiven your sins. And it just takes one. And so Joseph carries this great blessing of God. Everywhere he goes, he's successful. His daddy loves him. The slave owners love him. The prison guards love him. And uh, now Potiphar loves him, gives him in charge of everything. And just like we've been noticing over and over again, as soon as God names you or gives you these dreams and tells you who you're going to be, it's 13 years of suffering. It's and testing. Yeah. And testing. And so everything's going great. Maybe Joseph's out of trouble now. And then we get to Potiphar's wife. Right. And so Potiphar's wife starts making googly eyes there at him. Is. She tries to... Googly eyes. She's saying, lie with me. But Joseph, unlike his brother Judah... Right. is resisting this temptation, is saying, no, that's not right. My master's put me in charge of everything. You are not, like, part of this. I have to honor my master. Right. And and, and so, honor God. He realizes, too, this yeah. is like honoring God, right. honoring the relationship that he has in a foreign land as a person who, with responsibilities, this would be a power play over Potiphar. Mm-hmm. It's not just... Um, it's not just a good time. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, is what the sexual... Um, misconduct always promises it's just a good time now it doesn't hurt anybody Mm -hmm. but in reality any kind of sexual relationship is a combining of power it is a combining or a conjoining two it physically represents spiritual realities joseph has an understanding of this runs away and she accuses him of rape right she says look he's run away from here left his clothes here and she timed it out she knew all the servants would be gone she'd been conspiring to do this. This was what she wanted. And he fought it and she couldn't believe it. So guess where Joseph ends up again? In prison. In prison. Things are going swimmingly. <laughs> Ever since that dream that God gave him that his yeah. brothers would bow down, he's nothing good has been happening. His brothers have sold him into slavery. He's suffered. And, and yet he is blessed by God. Wrap your brain around that. Right. And so he ends up in prison but the the interesting thing, and it's just a note that I didn't catch the last time, was he's put in uh, the captain of the guards' prison, right. which is Potiphar. So Potiphar just moves him from being in charge of his house to being in, like, you're going to be in prison, Joseph, but you'll be in charge of my prison because I'm not going to just throw you away. Right, <laughs> I'm right, still going right. to use this blessing that you have on you. And so we have the same thing where he ends up in the prison and he works and he ends up being in charge of the whole prison. And there's a, there's a note here, too, like, an, for me, where how can you be blessed and have the favor of the Lord, yet your whole life be a mess and mm. things are going wrong? Mm-hmm. Like, we think those things cannot happen. Yeah. But throughout the scriptures, it's like, no, they absolutely do happen. You have the word of God. You have what he's telling you to do, and you're doing it, and yet people are betraying you, and yet you're suffering. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is because they don't go hand. It's not, uh, you have God's promise and now everything is easy. It's you have God's promise to save the world. It's kind of a big deal. Now you trust God to work it out and you hang on to him. Right. And which is what Joseph's doing. There's a real evil at work working against this. Yes. That's the thing we forget. Mm-hmm. It's not just God. It's evil. There are, is a line of enmity that hates God, that hates you, hates the world. Mm-hmm. And is murderous in its intent. 
So how does God, up to this point in the story, show up to people who have been given a promise, yet are struggling to make that promise a reality? Uh, through dreams. Through a dream. You go to sleep. I love that God uses us most in our sleep. And it's really The one crazy. place of inactivity. Like, I can't get anything done in my sleep. And it's like God says, well, this is where I'm going to get it all done. Because <laughs> I need you to understand this is not by might or by your power, but by my spirit and my word that I'll do this. And at least early on in the patriarchs, it's through sleep that he does it. So more dreams. So we have... The cupbearer and the baker of Pharaoh, right. they offended Pharaoh and they ended up in jail. And just a quick side note is that the one thing Joseph never had any control over was food because food was a very important and intimate thing. And so a cupbearer and a and a baker were actually pretty high they up. They're Egyptians. Like yeah. Egyptian officials because they're allowed to handle the most intimate part right. of a royalty's uh, life which is yeah. their food. And so these guys are actually like pretty hot. Sustain like your life or kill your life. Right. And so they, they actually have, they would have a lot of influence in, in, right. in an Egyptian court. And so they, That's a good they point. have dreams and on the same night and they're kind of similar and they're confused and troubled by them. Hmm. And they're in jail. So they're like, no one can interpret these dreams. But Joseph overhears them and says, Oh, Dreams? Sweet. I come from a line of dreamers. I I can... These are easy to interpret. God will give me the interpretation. Yeah, in verse uh, 8, Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please mm-hmm. tell them to me. So for I love this because Joseph's like, Oh yeah, dreams. That's where God works. Yeah. So this is before, you know, we have scriptures and things are written down. This is before Moses has codified everything. And Joseph's like, Oh yeah, like, oh, the word of God. Yeah, I, I can make sense of this. My dad was spoken to by dreams. I've been spoken to in dreams. Uh, lay it on me. And then, of course, the uh, the dreams pan out mm-hmm. um, where one guy, the cupbearer, the cup is going to live. So mm-hmm. Joseph breaks down his dream. You're going to live. And then the baker, right? Yep. He gets the, the birds start eating the bread off the top of his head. And Joseph's like, yeah, after three days, you're going to die. And that's going to be your body hanging and the birds are going to be eating it. Yeah. So have a good day. And uh, he he does make a side note to the cupbearer. He says, hey, when you are reinstalled, don't forget me. Yeah, yeah. Like, please tell Pharaoh, tell someone about my troubles here. And, and I, the I was wrongly imprisoned. The suffering continues, verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. <laughs> How easily uh, the word of God is forgotten by people uh, when you're trying to help them they just forget totally that you ever mentioned anything about saving their lives so we see dreams work out again mm-hmm. but that's not all and then now two whole years later chapter 41 two years later of being forgotten again how many of us could handle that right it's too much it's, that's crushing it is crushing two years yeah so we're now at a this is the full 13 years he's been in Egypt. Right. Just As sold into slavery. Yeah, just a slave in Egypt. With a dream from God and favor. He gets favor if people just took the time to like him, and yeah. they do. And they're like, wow, you work really hard. So now Pharaoh has a dream, can't make sense of it. And finally, two years later, the chief cupbearer says, oh, wait, I remember. 
oh, I remember that time you were going to kill me, Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. You put me in prison for some strange reason. There was a guy in there who knew how to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh's like, uh, okay, <laughs> bring him to me. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant, the captain guard. And so he brings him. And what I like about this section is you see the first listing of the uh, magi and the magicians mm. and the sorcerers, mm-hmm. and they're fools. Right. Pharaoh sees right through them. Like, you guys are fools because they're always trying to please the king. Right. They don't want to bring in bad news because then you're the bad news prophet, and no one wants to be that, which right. is what all God's prophets are, and that's why they kill them. But uh, they can't make sense of it. They bring in Joseph, and Joseph gives them the interpretation. And again, Joseph Joseph is amazing. He gives credit to God again. He says, it, it's not me. It is not in me who in, will interpret your dream. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Right. So that's verse 16 of chapter 41. There it is. Jo- uh, Joseph just saying, it is not in me. It is God. It's great. So then we'll just quickly break down. Yeah. It's seven years of great... Harvest. Harvest, and then followed by seven years of famine. Like intense famine that you would even forget about the seven years of plenty. And and then Pharaoh instantly is going, well, what should we do about this? Yeah, Pharaoh says, let's, let's select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Right. And he looks at Joseph and goes, you are that man. You are the wise man man that i need to uh, be over all of this and then joseph joseph actually immediately comes up with a a good plan yeah he's like because joseph remember he's just why he's just one of these guys you like yeah and he's smart so joseph says off the top of his head maybe we can't tell the time of this conversation seems pretty seems seems like within the conversation joseph says here's the deal we will save up as much as we will milk those seven years to get us through the seven years of famine. Right. And Pharaoh's like, you sound like, you know, it's like when someone has a great plan and you're like, why don't you just do that? Yeah. Like when the young people, the young 30 year olds are telling me about the internet, the interwebs. And I'm like, cool. Why don't you just do that? for me?" <laughs> and that's what Pharaoh does. And so once again, we have Joseph through the power of interpreting dreams rise to becoming number two under the Pharaoh. He's the yeah. number two of all the most powerful people in yeah. the planet, really, because right. Egypt is the most powerful nation because it's around the source of all life, mm-hmm. the Nile River, where all the world comes to during time of famine. It's going to go through famine, and Joseph is the man. So God has raised him up to a position yeah. of importance. So, yeah, after 13 years of suffering, it's finally starting to make sense. And you see Joseph, I mean, even at the end here, verse 36, the food shall be reserved for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through famine. And it's just cool to see the relationship between land and God and mm-hmm. his promised people. It's all starting to weave together. But that gets us through chapter 41, verse 40, where so, we'll, we'll stop today. Awesome. Play us out with our oh, Old yeah, Testament. Okay. promise joseph Mm. Mm. all right now we're moving to our new testament our new testament reading is matthew chapter 13 verse 36 through chapter 14 verse 21 all right so in matthew chapter 13 we are hitting we've been jesus has been going through all his parables right We're hitting the weeds, explain. Yeah, we are now in the weeds. Which is very, you know, 
the cool thing about this section is I see Matthew kind of clumping all these stories together purposely, right? Mm-hmm. So he clumps together parables. He explains the parable of the um, the the seed, the sower, the seed and the sower. Now he's explaining the parable of the weeds, which is why and how were there good, good and evil, good and evil together. Mm-hmm. And he very plain, plainly just says every part of it, which I think will help us interpret the following parables, right? Right. So the weeds are the son, uh, sons of evil, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil, right? The right. field is the world, the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, the harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And so uh, Jesus is breaking down just as weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. Right. So he's being very straightforward here about every part of the parable. Right. Which I think is cool because then you get to the next parable. It's very short. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, if you use the interpretation of Jesus for the weeds... The interpretation of the the hidden treasure is a little bit different than what we might think. We might think, oh, I should sell everything to follow God. Right. But the interpretation according to Jesus would be uh, the treasure, the field is... Is us. Is we the are, world. We are, yeah the, yeah, the field is the world. The man is God. Is God. And, and then we are the treasure, right? Yes. We'd be the treasure in the field. Mm-hmm. And so... God sells everything to get this treasure. Mm-hmm. So you and I are the treasure in the earth that God uh, is wanting to reap and gather. It's really cool. Yeah. And then the same with the, the pearl of, of great price follows that. Again, uh, one finding, the one finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. We are the pearl. We are the grain. Mm-hmm. The weeds are evil. You know, the field is the earth. The, and so... And then there's a parable of a net where he um, just further identifies, look, there's good fish and there's bad fish. There's goats and there's sheep. There's going to be uh, an obvious separation of the two. Yeah, at the end. But for now, good and evil are going to grow up together. They swim in the same ocean. They grow up in the same field because I don't want to lose any. Yeah. I'm not going to just like denude the earth of any nutrients because I'm scared of weeds. Right. But don't be deceived. Like in agriculture, there are good and bad. Mm -hmm. Like when I do my yard, there's weeds and there's flowers. And uh, it doesn't matter how hard the weed was trying or how beautiful. Sometimes there's beautiful weeds, but you're like, that's not what I want here. It's choking something else out. Right. And you separate them. And I know the the instinct is to try and to be like, oh, our instinct is, well, can't everyone be saved? And Jesus makes it clear like, well, I can't save people who don't want to be saved. Mm -hmm. Just like a weed can't become grain. So, and then Jesus follows it up with kind of even more of a description of it by saying, have you understood these things? And they are like, yeah, sure. Right. And he says, uh, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. That's the, int- I, I don't remember ever reading this one. Yeah. But Jesus, uh, in looking at it even more, it's like Jesus is saying, you are bringing out the old and new testaments you're mm-hmm. bringing out all the stories you can start to see this has always been going on mm-hmm. i mean in light of our old testament reading there is weeds and there's uh, grain yeah yeah and so there's enmity and there's hope 
And so the master of the house brings out his treasure, the old and the new, together. And then, of course, Jesus is completely rejected. <laughs> yeah, so he in is... Own, in his own hometown. So in Nazareth, we, this is where we get the saying, um, a, man, a prophet is not accepted in his hometown. Yeah. Uh, good to think about. If, yeah. If many of you, if you've had moments of epiphany or spiritual growth, you've caught a little bit on fire of the Holy Spirit, and the people you're most excited to go share it with are people at home. Mm -hmm. But the people, the first people on the planet to say, oh yeah, you're going to change, oh yeah, you sure sound different now, and to remember who you were, they're the first ones to disbelieve all your newfound energy and newfound faith. <laughs> and Jesus discovers that when he goes to Nazareth, and he ends up doing no miracles there, because they have no faith. All mm -hmm. they can see is this boy who grew up among them, uh, the, the son of Mary, you know, and his mm -hmm. brothers and sisters. And Jesus says, all right, a prophet is without honor. is not without honor except in his hometown and his own household. And it's sad. And I think it's the familiarity that can breed contempt. Um, and we have to be careful of that with our friends and family. Like when there is growth, we have to be people who are open to not just leaning on our familiarity. I know who you are mm -hmm. and be open to what God can do and expect. Like if someone comes back and comes to us and says they're changed, man, we don't doubt the work of God. Now we'll look, we can look and watch and be careful, but, but uh, we ought not to just throw them away. All right. Chapter 14. John the Baptist. Dead. Yeah. Dead. And... So we have John the Baptist was imprisoned by Herod, who was having an openly adulterous relationship with his brother's wife. Right. And uh, John had been speaking out against it, so Herod was like, please shut up. And John wouldn't shut up, so he puts him in jail, because why not? But he doesn't kill him, because he's afraid that the people are going to revolt. But then uh, we have... Uh, Herodias, um, the woman, the woman he's uh, in a relationship with, her daughter comes out and does some sort of dance in front of him that weirdly pleases him so much that he's like, "I'll give you anything you ask for." Yeah. And so Herodias, who is like, "Well, I want John the Baptist dead, so put his head on a platter." He's like, "Okay." So he has to do it because yeah. he's in a political conundrum now, even mm -hmm. though he kind of likes John. Um, but he has to do it to please the people. Now, here's how I see this, Matt. If you go through, um, we're going through chapter 14, verse 21. Yeah. And uh, that's almost, oh man, I wish I could, but it kind of breaks up this thought for me. The reason that Matthew even adds this, I think, is to contrast the two kingdoms, right? Mm -hmm. The kingdom of earth and the versus the kingdom of God. Okay. Because you have Herod who... All he has the power to do is to kill. Right. So he beheads John the Baptist, who was supposed to be the hope, even though he likes him. Like, he's not even free to do what he likes. Right. Because he can be manipulated politically mm -hmm. by a woman dancing. Which, right. Which, at this time, in this culture, I think shows the powerlessness of Herod, not his great power. Versus, boom, so you have kind of the powerlessness of of this, and then immediately Matthew starts talking about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he withdrew himself to a place quiet. So, okay. Jesus gets I quiet. No. Here, here's the bigger scope, right? Yeah. Okay. This is, what we're going to do is Jesus' kingdom. 
Fine. Now you go. Now, that's all I want to say. Like, Oh, yeah, yeah. So in Jesus' kingdom, here's what it looks like. Go. Yes. So the other note I wanted to point out is, so Jesus hears about his cousin dying. Right. He got beheaded by Herod. And so Jesus withdraws to a quiet yeah. place. I think he's withdrawn, withdrawing to mourn his cousin. Yeah, I agree. He gets in a boat and withdraws and... But other, like the crowds, the common people find out where he's going and follow him in his time of mourning out right. to the wilderness. Our king cares about life. And, Our king doesn't kill. And so he's mourning, but in his time of mourning, he still stops and has to minister to all these people. And, and then, well, his disciples are like, you need to send him away. And Jesus says, bring them to me. He has this great compassion he has them sit down in the grass, and then you know the story of the five loaves and the two fish. He gives thanks for them, breaks breaks the bread and the loaves, and he feeds everybody with leftovers. And really the only people who know what's going on are the disciples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now the people know they were fed, which is one of the primary uh, things you're looking for in a king. Right. I need a king who can provide jobs. I need a king who can provide food. This king, in contrast to Herod, provides food. Provides life. Provides life. Then, because we got to, for time's sake, we got to keep going because I love feeding the 5,000. I mean, in the kingdom of God, the disciples see, oh, God provides. Mm-hmm. And he's a better king. Then you go to Jesus walking on the water. No. What? We're stopping? Yeah. Oh. All right. Well. Yeah, we end with the 5,000. Stick around for tomorrow because he's going to further show his case for being a better king. Actually, it's not even a case. It's just the multitudes are drawn to him mm-hmm. because he's a king of life. And a king uh, who can create food. I mean, also, this feeding of the 5,000, it is exactly even almost a more powerful miracle than the manna in the desert. That Jesus provides bread, the bread of life in the desert. When there is no food and God's people are gathered around his word, he feeds them with leftovers. And he uses the disciples to feed the nation spiritually. See, Mm -hmm. he's starting to fulfill the promise to make them fishers of men. And they don't even know how it's happening because they're always freaking out. God, we have too many people. And you're sad. Like, everyone, give Jesus a break, man. Right. He just lost his cousin. A lot's going down right now. You guys just give us a break. And Jesus has compassion. He says, no, I'll feed them. And they are amazed. Jesus is the king of a con- the kingdom that I want to be in. And uh, that's why we're reading the story. All right. So that's our New Testament. That concludes New Testament. Let's mm-hmm. do our psalms. We got some good psalms today. And Proverbs, actually, right? Yeah, we haven't... Re- okay, so our psalm is Psalm 11, and Proverbs is chapter 2, uh, verse 12 through 22. Well, uh, I can do the Proverbs. Do the Proverbs. Okay. We've been kind of uh, not really focusing on the Proverbs. Well, the Proverbs uh, are broken up, It's and, and they're really just little sayings. So mm-hmm. we encourage you to read them and find some sayings that minister to you every day. But the beginning of Proverbs is about wisdom. And it's about the application of knowledge and how you should seek it more than uh, gold or anything else. Mm-hmm. And in chapter two of the Proverbs, it's really warning. It's a wise warning. It's perfect. It perfectly dovetails with Judah and Tamar. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's warning you about the adulterous woman. And it basically about sexual and even Herod and Herod, and, yeah, and Herodian, yeah, man. And so wisdom needs to take seriously that the sin, uh, uh, like adultery, this adulterous kind of 
vibe in the world is going to lead you to destruction. That this adulterous feeling and this adulterous action will always lead you to destruction. It'll always steal from you. It'll take away everything you love mm-hmm. and everything you have. And so the Proverbs is written, please, for wisdom, ask for wisdom, um, run away from evil. Do what Joseph did, like run from the seductress. Wow, it really does go perfectly with the readings today. Yeah, <laughs> So Proverbs crazy. 2 goes exactly with the readings in the Old Testament. Be like Joseph, essentially. Run away from the adulteress because it'll only ruin your life. And, uh, and that's the wisdom. That's like the wisest thing you can do. Yeah. And then, uh, what did you get out of Psalm 11? And Psalm 11, uh, Psalm 11, again, like the Psalms at this point are really contrasting the weeds and the grain. Yeah. The sheep and the goats, the bad fish and the good fish, and this idea that there's wickedness and there's righteousness. And we kind of don't like to talk about it because there's a real theme within the Psalms and within the whole scripture is... God will eventually destroy the wicked. Right. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. There is a point but, where God draws a line and says, okay, there has to be justice. I am loving, and in my love, I have to give justice. Yeah. And so there's always this cry, especially from David, uh, for justice, because he sees it. He's being attacked physically, emotionally, and spiritually all the time. And so he is co- constantly crying out to God, saying, please... Uh, He says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Boom. You've been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.